0: Open Globe Talk is a podcast series for aspiring ophthalmologists and trainees interested in obtaining education in global ophthalmology. Be part of this unique setup as we interview ophthalmologists around the globe virtually and get to create equity in service, innovation, and medical education. Welcome back to Open Globe Talk, and in this episode, we have the amazing opportunity to chat with Dr. Bala Ambadi, who is a remarkable surgeon at the Pacific Clear Vision Institute and also a research professor at the Knight Campus of the University of Oregon. He attended New York University for undergraduate and completed medical school at Mount Sinai. Thereafter, he conducted residency training at Mass Eye and Ear with a subsequent fellowship in cornea and refractive surgery from the Duke University. He has also earned his PhD from the Medical College of Georgia, and last but not least, the MBA at the University of Utah. As you can tell, he is a man with many degrees and has been named as the number 1 eye surgeon in the top 40 under 40 global competition and making the top 100 power list of ophthalmology by the Ophthalmologist magazine. Dr. Madi is a globally recognized figure who is also an incredible humanitarian having worked with Orbis, Sightlife, Sight for the Sightless. Help Mercy International, and many other service organizations, it is a testament to the contributions he has made to the global ophthalmology community. And today we get to learn from him about his journey and how his early career has impacted him in the path he leads today. So welcome, Dr. Ambadi. Hi,
1: thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure.
0: Our listeners are always waiting for this question. And I'm curious to know, how did you start with ophthalmology? And For those of you who are listening in, Dr. Mbadi is also double-boarded in internal medicine as well.
1: Ophthalmology is a wonderful field. You have a combination of all kinds of diseases that are diagnosable in the eye, so you can actually see nerves and blood vessels inside the eye, and that helps you diagnose things like leukemia or Assess diabetes or diagnose lupus, and you know these are things that we may not, you know, treat to the very end, but we can save somebody's life by picking it up. It has a wonderful combination of different kinds of eye surgeries. I get to do laser surgery and transplants and prosthetics, and the field is very dynamic. It's always evolving. There's always new things coming out, and it's very delicate and exquisite in terms of the procedural finesse. Um, patients come in all ages, you, know, you have uh, babies and 100 year olds and everyone in between. And right? so you got a good mix of people. Um, nobody dies. And what you do normally works and you make a big difference. So for all those reasons, it's a great field to be in. And I, I just love my job and love waking up every day and going to work.
0: That's wonderful. And why specifically did you choose cornea as a specialty?
1: Well, within ophthalmology, I think cornea best exemplifies ophthalmology of the different specialties. I did not want to give up cataract surgery. So that kind of takes retina and plastics uh, off the table and also takes neuro-ophthalmology and pathology off the table and cornea is the happiest you know glaucoma is pretty depressed can be uh retina is very depressing or certainly when i was in training before anti vegfs for modern you know small gauge retractomy retina you know, no matter how good of a surgeon you were you know outcomes were pretty depressing when I did my residency in fellowship. So cornea, you know, you can take people who are light perception vision and get them through all the procedures they need and get them a new cornea and get them, you know, seeing and able to drive again. You know? and, and I think of all the different subspecialties, cornea, best example of that, the main attractive parts of ophthalmology.
0: I think cornea is incredibly cool and very patient-centric in terms of quality of life, and it can make a big difference if somebody is able to intervene at the right time. Uh, You know, you started medicine at a fairly young age, and I'm curious if that impacted your perspective on the things you think a global ophthalmologist should start doing early in their career.
1: So I learned about Orbis when I was a resident of Mass Roberto Pineda was a mentor of mine, he said a uh, distinguished cornea uh, doctor at uh, Mass Eye and He would uh, tell the residents about his trips with Orbis and I always wanted to join, you know? And so in 2006, I finally got the opportunity to go on an Orbis program. And the first program was to Ghana. And I think, you know, for people interested in getting into global ophthalmology, you know, make sure you feel confident in your surgical skills that you're able to take care of difficult cataracts and difficult cases, because you really want to avoid complications whenever possible. And certainly you want to be able to manage complications if they do occur. So you want to have a good skill set and good experience before going on an overseas trip, because you want you know, the experience to be good for everybody involved, especially the patient. And then recognize that when you go overseas, you're not at your best. You're jet lagged, you're tired, the food may not agree with you, the schedule certainly won't agree with you. And so you need to have good stamina and you need to have patience. You know, you're not going to have your exact same machines and exact same equipment. good friend of mine, Hunter Churwick, told me this is jazz music, not classical. you got to be able to improvise and just keep going with the flow and do with whatever comes towards your mind. So you have to really know yourself. You know, surgeons have a tendency to be prima donnas, uh, you know, for good reason. We all have a desire to want what we want when we want it the way we want it, right? That's what we are like in the operating room. So you know, there's a reason for that and a place for that, but an, an overseas operating room is not the place for that because it's just not gonna have the same facilities and resources. So you have to be able to manage with what's available, whether the equipment or instruments are bent or a little bit out of shape or whatnot. And you know, so you have to know yourself. You know, do, do you have the stamina? Do you have the patience? Do you have the expertise? And so you know, if you really feel that you do all those things, um, then you know, do you have the time? You know, there's obligations for your own practice and patients as well as your own family. And- whatever other interests that you have. So if you have all of those things, then yeah, please certainly consider being involved with one of these great organizations because it can make a huge impact in lots of different places around the world where, you know, it's not like America where there's one ophthalmologist for 16,000 people. There may only be one ophthalmologist for a million people in parts of Africa. So people come for their cataract surgery where they can't see the food on their plate. It's very different to here where people come for their cataract surgery when they can't you know try or read the newspaper.
0: I think those are really excellent points and in fact I just spoke with another ophthalmologist who shared the same sentiments that you have to come across enough number of complications to feel confident that you can go into the global ophthalmology arena. And it's interesting, you mentioned your path. And I'm curious, like for all the young ophthalmologists who may be listening in, how many years of experience out of residency do you think would make it sufficient in order to feel comfortable?
1: Everybody is different and every certain skill set and learning curve is different. I mean, Orbis has a good rule of thumb, you know, you have to be out of training three years. And so I finished my fellowship in 2002, I applied in summer of 2005 when I out three years, and then got accepted, and went on my first uh, orbis trip in early uh, 2006, as I recall. So I, mean, I think that's that's a reasonable you know estimate. You know, being out of training three years, as far as number of cases, every residency is different, every fellowship is different. You know, I I, I would venture to say that if you've done 500 cataracts and you feel like you have. a pretty good complication rate, low, low vitreous loss rate, low lens drop rate, then probably in, in good shape to contribute overseas.
0: Yeah. You came from Iran and I'm curious to know, they do have a global ophthalmology fellowship, which they encourage if you've specialized in a field via fellowship, it would be a good idea to do that global ophthalmology fellowship afterwards. And so what, what are your thoughts on on a formal global ophthalmology fellowship?
1: i I would look at this whole thing as you know what are you trying to achieve right you know so when, when you go for a week and you do you know some cataracts you've improved the life of those patients and that's great you know it's wonderful it makes their life better and it makes you feel good but there's a difference between giving a man a fish and teaching a man to fish and so you know, things like Orbis and, and Jeff Tabin's uh, cataract project and, and so on, they're really focused on building infrastructure for local eye care teams and, and skills transfer um, and trying to improve the local infrastructure of ophthalmologists, optometrists, uh, nurses, and, and scrub techs and sterilizers so that the indigenous teams can acquire these skills and take care of patients for months and years to come. And so the focus in Orbis is training, not just doing cases, you're teaching the local doctors uh, the techniques that that you've learned on. And uh, I don't know the specifics of uh, uh, Jeff's uh, Global Ophthalmology Fellowship, but I assume with someone spending a year, you know, three-month blocks in different places, that there's a lot of knowledge exchange skills transfer. So that element of teaching and and sharing knowledge and sharing techniques and and, uh, updates, that's huge for for the surgeons in Africa and South America and uh, and India, other parts of the world where they may be very lonely. You know, there's not not that many ophthalmologists, not that many people to talk to and run difficult cases by. And so building a network of supportive transcontinental or intercontinental mentoring. That's actually
0: very neat. You know, you're talking about sustainability. And I believe in previous talks, you've mentioned building sustainable connections with the people in those countries as you're working with these organizations such as Orbis. And I'm curious to know what is the best way to keep in contact with these individuals as an ophthalmologist once you've come back to the States?
1: Oh, I still get emails from people I worked with, you know, more than ten years ago—Philippines, or, or Malaysia, or India, or, or wherever else. You know, people take a picture of a tough case and want to run by me, and you know, I, I email them back. You know, sometimes we Zoom or whatever. You know, so I and you know, I, I certainly keep in touch with uh, people around the world who, you know, when you spend a week with them or two weeks with them, it's you know, on these really difficult cases, you know, can take. Know, three or four hours for a complex cornea transplant with a lot of intraocular damage, you know, you're it's an intense experience and you get to know people, you know, very deeply over that course of a week where you're long days and, and they want to keep in touch with you.
0: That's awesome. And transitioning from this in-person experience that you've had over these past years and then going online during COVID, what aspects of cybersight did you find convenient? And what would you say as a teaching faculty was challenging
1: so I've done several lectures globally with cybersight and, and certain you know departments of ophthalmology in different places and, and it's an interesting thing you, you you reach a lot more people you know with through zoom you can have you know hundreds or thousands of people on a zoom so you so you're, you're sharing knowledge and cases and taking questions from a lot more people so that sense it's you know a broader, impact and the best we could do in 2020, 2021.
0: And I'm really glad that we're going back into this in-person landscape. Hopefully that this kind of continues into the direction that it's going. And so- You know, focusing on cornea specifically, when you're working in environments with limited resources, what are some challenging cases that you commonly encounter going abroad?
1: So, cornea, one of the biggest things to bear in mind is you want to collect tissues, take them with you, and you, know, you have to get them through security, you keep them cold, you know, through multiple connecting flights and you know, refill the ice and so on. So you, you really want to take care of the tissue through flight. And so yeah, that means you don't get to sleep for more than a few hours at a time, right? You know, you, you can't just lay down and curl up, you know, on, on the plane and forget about the corneas. That means you have to get it past the TSA security guy and like what are all these weird things that you're putting on my x-ray belt. Um, and so, you want to have your documentation from Orbis and your letter and your business card and thing. Um, and then you want to get you know, reasonably good tissue. So, you want to talk to the IVAX you know, before you can. Then, once you arrive, um, you want to do cases where you can have the most good. So, you know not necessarily the worst off patient, but the ones where the corneas are most likely to take. And survive, and so you really have to assess. You know, is this person going to take their drops? Is this person going to come back to their appointments? Is this person you know, having the family support to take care of their eye? And what is the prognosis for the transplant after surgery? You know, are there other ocular comorbidities or systemic comorbidities that are going to affect transplant survival? And so, you know, somebody died for this tissue. You've brought it all this way over. You know, overseas. It's going to be really hard to get additional tissue in the future. Maybe you, know, you want these tissues to last, right? So those are some things that might be a bit different than doing transplant surgery at home. You know, you really want to be judicious in who you offer, you know, these transplants for. And uh, as far as pathologies that you see, I mean, trauma, you know, a lot of, you know, stick injuries and, or, or, you know, farm injuries and you know, people just don't wear eye protection, routinely in many parts of the world um different diseases you know like in, in pbk you know there, there's a lot of bolus keratopathy just because cataracts can be hard in different parts of the, of, of the world and maybe the surgeon should just have done extra cap or six rather than phaco but they did phaco and the cornea got nuked and, and so both keratopathy is fairly common in uh, certain parts of the world where there's a lot of cousin marriage keratoconus is extremely common and then yeah there's all kinds of Parasitic diseases and viral diseases that you may only see in textbooks here actually do occur, you know, river blindness, measles, keratitis, and things like that.
0: Yeah, it's really very cool, especially when when you talk about cornea, because you can see the pathology in front of you. and. You're the president and founder of a company called Ivina, and you are coming up with this dropless cataract technology that I'm curious what it's about and how you came about that, that idea. You do quite a bit of basic science research, which is very, very important in the drug development side of things.
1: Um, so Ivina was founded several years ago in 2015, and so our main focus is actually a eye drop for um treating keratoconus by pharmacologic cross-linking through increasing lysoloxidase. We had been working on a uh, dexamethasone implant that could be placed inside the capsular bag to enable drop-free cataract surgery. And you know, we actually uh, did a clinical trial with 19 patients where it worked uh, for, uh, for that purpose. <clears throat> Unfortunately, you know uh, that clinical trials I recall was completed in 2019 and we were looking to do a you know strategic partnership with um, you know various um, you know major pharmaceutical companies and then 2020 happened and so that project has pretty much been put on the shelf there's just not uh, a realistic path forward to uh, reimbursement in the United States in the United States. So that's that's kind of on the shelf. So the, the main focus for for Ivena is on this keratoconus side drop at this point.
0: You know, as a constant innovator, what advances do you think you would like to see in global ophthalmology? And what would you say is the direction of those technologies at the moment, especially coming out of COVID?
1: I know Orbis is working a lot in artificial intelligence and that uh, should help with retinopathy screening and there's some areas where i think there's a tele-surgeon mentoring so from britain to certain parts of africa they've set up you know high-speed internet where the surgeon in the united kingdom can watch what's going on in an operating room in africa and provide you know guidance through near peace you know so that is interesting to me you know tele i just don't know that it's the same you know (laughs) Uh, as actually being there um sight life is working on keratoconus screening there's parts of rwanda that are very high in keratoconus in children in in pediatrics and so you know they're trying to work with manufacturers to make a miniature corneal topographer to that can be handheld and portable and, and reliable and capturing the Data required to assess the anterior and posterior cornea to do keratoconus screening. So, those are, those are some of the things that I think are pretty neat.
0: As a global ophthalmologist, what would you say has been your most favorite trip so far? And which country do you think needs a lot of attention having gone there and, and you would want to return there uh, once COVID kind of weans down and it seems to be weaning down um, in so far?
1: Well, I don't know about COVID winding down. I, mean, I think it's going back up right now. So we'll see, but who knows? <laughs> the um, favorite trip, there's so many good experiences. Um, I've been to India many times just because, you know, I was, you know, my, my family heritage is, is, is there. So I've been to India with Orbis and with uh, Sight for the Sightless and with uh, Sight Life, and, and so, you know, I, that's probably been. Uh, half of my trips have been to India, but uh, non India trips, you know, where, where I've spent three weeks in Indonesia, you know, I really got to know the doctors in Indonesia while I worked both in Surabaya and in Jakarta, did both cataract surgery and cornea transplants, and, you know, saw some really Really terrible corneal disease, you know, with autoimmune things that blow your mind. So we did all kinds of surgeries. There were anterior molar transplants, crescent lamellar transplants. You know, there was one day in Jakarta where I had three operating rooms I was supervising with three different local cornea surgeons. You know, we were just, I think we did like eight cornea transplants in one day. It was just, you know, my neck was killing me by the end. Another trip in Africa, in Zambia, um, this gentleman came in with a ruptured globe, corneal laceration, you know, tree branch and, you know, sewing up the globe and then the power goes out. Still had half the cornea to sew up and also there was no anesthesia. So, you know, the guy, you know, had him bite down and give him some Whiskey to, you know, ease his pain. And I had the microscope. So uh, Lloyd Williams was with me, just held a torchlight, managed to finish up the surgery, you know. And so that was interesting. Uh, saved his eye. That's what counts, you know. And there was one time in Calcutta, the trip was done, the, the program was done. And then Saturday, we kind of had a free day. And so a couple of the Orbis nurses and I went to Mother Teresa's house just as volunteers, you know, just to, you know, spend a few hours there then this lady comes in who tried to commit suicide uh, by drinking kerosene. I think we spent two hours working on her and we saved her life that day. So, you know, lots, lots of good people, you know, lots of good friendships and and people who I've
0: worked with. Wow. You know, I wish I had asked this question at the very beginning. This is, uh, that was very, (laughs) (laughs) that was very cool. Um, The amount of cases as well as the variety and just out of the box things that you got to see and and the way you summarize some of them is uh, is incredible and you know I I get a glimpse of you know what a busy day of your life is when you go abroad and is just incredible what global ophthalmologists do and I think our listeners have definitely benefited from hearing you and actually taking away you know, what they need to prepare for, which is a very important thing. Before jumping into anything, the best thing we could do is measure ourselves and uh, hope that we're the best version of ourselves so that we can serve the patients in front of us. So thank you, Dr. Ambadi. This has been a very productive meeting and i'm sure our listeners are going to get some incredible pearls from this as well as the stories that you shared at the end those are remarkable
1: my pleasure thanks for speaking with me i'm happy to be in touch with you or any of the listeners if they have any
0: questions absolutely thank you for listening to open globe talk if you enjoyed this podcast follow us on twitter at open globe talk you can access audio recordings on our website OpenGlobeTK.com where we make our sessions available on Spotify, Apple, and Google. Our release dates are each Friday evening of the week we interview our guest speakers. We are incredibly appreciative of our listeners and hope to ride along to meet more inspirational figures in global ophthalmology. Thanks and take care.